Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org. Um, I am just excited to be here. Um, just from just the fact that you guys have a building here downtown and got the way God has provided this building, just the uh, influence he has called your church to. I don't know if you're aware of that. Just the church is here right on the downtown area. And, you know, you guys have uh, been growing and have, um, you know, new people coming in and people being discipled and trained. That is actually a rare thing uh, in America, church growth with new people and believers, just so you know that. Um, And that's a sign of the Holy Spirit breathing on you, you know, good leadership, God's heart, the vision, and um, momentum. I'm excited to hear that and just be here in your midst. And I thought just even the worship as we got to sing to the Lord together was excellent. Today I want to share something with you, and uh, if you'd like to follow along, it's in your notes. I'm going to probably just go right to page two just to make sure we get to the what I think is the most important I want to talk about this morning. And I have so much out of my heart I want to share with you, but particularly I want to share with you just straight uh, dealing with addressing the beauty of Jesus. And as I was preparing, I felt like the Lord gave me Ephesians 5.14, which Paul says, Awake, awake, O sleeper. You know, there is so much right now, uh, different views of Jesus in our culture, and how we view Jesus is how we live our life. Um, how we perceive him really affects everything the way we order our priorities in life. And um, there are just many views about him and who he is. And I want to uh, today build upon Jesus in three aspects of the Bible, titles that the Bible gives him, and then tonight unpack just one of them. And... Um, I believe if you give yourself to knowing Jesus in these three ways, the, what the, the way the scriptures revealed him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will partner with the Lord at a deeper level in your life. And, and as a church, if you say, you know what, I want to know Jesus as he's listed in these ways, and I'm going to spend time meditating on these scriptures and talking to God about them, not just reading them, but, you know, when we just read things, it, it, it's hard to kind of process it, but to read and, you know, journal about it, talk to God and and ask, can, do I agree with this? And how would this impact my life? If you engage in that, even as a church and um, you know, individually, you will see the Lord begin to speak to you and draw you nearer into his plans. Because right now, the Lord is really raising up his church to partner with him at a deeper level. And you know, it doesn't take a scientist to know that the, uh, when Jesus left, he gave a final address in Matthew 24, and he laid, he gave an analogy to where the earth would go after he left. And he said, before I come, it's going to be like a woman giving birth. Now, Isaiah and Paul both use the same analogy. And Jesus even uses the term early labor, mid-labor, late labor, basically. He says the beginning of sorrows, then this happens, then the end of sorrows. He's talking about labor. Now, how many of you have been uh, either, give, you've either given birth or <laughs> you have been with somebody that has? Raise your hand. All right? So it's a very useful analogy. And uh, no matter what your role was in that, or if you tried to give advice and got in trouble, um, whatever your role was at that time, I remember my wife just said, push me in the back. You know what I'm trying to do? I was like, this is hard work. I was doing counter pressure for like five hours in the labor room. And I'm thinking, no one told me about this. I would have like worked out a lot harder (laughs) if I knew this was my role. And, uh, but I, you know, I know we all have stories. I'll leave mine there. But, um, but Jesus said there'll be the beginning of sorrows, birth pains. He actually lists, listed 16 trends that would occur. Most of them are negative. The Bible also lists positive trends, um, so more than just the ones Jesus listed. That would happen before he returned 
And then they would increase, and then it would be very intense. Um, very intense. And I believe we're in the beginning of the labors. I think probably it started when Israel got the land back in 48 or 1967. It kind of initiated a new time clock, and we don't have really time to teach on that. But just things where you see, like as far as war and terror, um, the rise of uh, sin escalating and immorality being enshrined in the, the legal system and being celebrated around the earth, um, where we see even creation groaning um, with different types of natural disasters increasing, where we see um, a variety of things kind of like bubbling up, and then they just kind of go away for a little minute, you know? Then it comes up again. That's exactly what early labor is like. If you know, it's like, uh, you know, your wife may be like, or a lady may be like, ouch, and they're, what was that? And I don't know if I'm giving birth yet, or, you know, is it time? And then it, you think that life goes back to normal. And then it happens again, and then it speeds up. I mean, not every labor is that way. Um, I remember one time I said that, and a lady's like, it's not like, ouch, it's like, ouch, you know? It's like, all right, I just give up here. But, uh, but that's kind of where we are. But see, the Lord is awakening his church so I want to get to where we're going here because he, he's looking for a partner that will partner with him. He, he actually isn't just going to send Jesus. It's the church crying out that prepares the way for his return in this country, in America, in the nations. And so he's looking for a partner to agree with him and who he is and his plan. But to do that, we've got to draw closer to him. And to do that, we've got to understand what's important to him. You know, unfortunately, many times in the church, we get saved, and then we just get kind of brought into a religious workforce, but we don't actually get, we don't learn how to get close to the Lord and hear his voice and, and learn what's on his heart. We just do what we think we're supposed to do. The Bible says in Psalms 45, to listen, O daughter, and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. He's talking about marriage. He's basically saying, forget the former ways of your life. You've got to let some of those things go. You've got a new master. You've got a new bridegroom. You've got a new king. You've got a new savior. Figure out what's on his heart. It's not enough just to get saved and then leave it there. He wants us to keep growing and to get to know his heart because he has so much he wants to share with us. And so... I want to talk about Jesus as a bridegroom, king, and judge today. When you look at the Gospels, and I'm at the top of page two, he, uh, Jesus says it's important to come as the Scriptures say. Come to him as he says he is. He says, if you come to me, out of your inner being will flow rivers of living water. In other words, if you come to me, I'm going to put life inside you that will bubble up and affect the rest of your life. Everybody in the Gospels that came to Jesus got healed. Now, that should challenge our experience right now. That sh we shouldn't look at our experience and say, well, that was just in his day. That reality will happen for all of us as we continue to pursue Jesus. There isn't one obstacle that he cannot overcome. One thing he can't heal, one thing he can't restore. And so it's important. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to the Father except through me. So we need to know what the Bible says about him. And there are many titles about Jesus, hundreds of them. But I believe the Holy Spirit's emphasizing three, and it's Jesus as a bridegroom, king, and judge so that we can partner with him. Now, let's just look at where that is in Scripture. And then, you're, again, I think in this kind of talk this morning, I'm going to just more give you, I'll probably give you more questions than I'm going to give you answers. That's really my heart, is to kind of expand a little bit of space for you to explore later. So let's just look at where Jesus 
talks about him being a bridegroom. When he says bridegroom, it means that he is going to be the partner, the eternal partner of the church forever, and that the church will be in like character, in mature love, knowing his heart, and releasing the kingdom of the Father with him. Now, you, when you get married, the Bible says marry somebody equally yoked. Don't marry an unbeliever if you're a believer because you're going to have these value systems different. If Jesus is getting married to us, that means we're going to be an equally yoked partner. Now, think about that. You're going to be equally in yoke in love to Jesus. That means we each are going to grow leaps and bounds in our love. We know when Jesus' blood covers us legally, we're saved, and we're the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But our experience in our brain tells us we need help. <laughs> and we're in a lot of pain at times. I mean, there's, we're all broken in different ways. We're all, we're all dependent on Jesus for daily bread, emotional bread, financial bread, things that we need that we, sometimes we just can't keep living. Like, God, would you break in my, into my life and help me? I, it's a really hard season. Jesus is saying with the bridegroom that we're He's going to perfect us in love that we will be equally a partner. Now, with a king, we're more familiar with that language, the one with all power who's got a throne. And, and with a judge, maybe some of us are more uncomfortable with that language because that's the one that removes wickedness and uh, brings judgment to clear the way for righteousness to grow. And sometimes the Jesus' judge message has been left out in the church because it's offensive to people. It's scary. But today I want to talk about that. Now, let's just look where in Scripture, letter B, where we see Jesus himself saying, I'm a bridegroom, I'm a king, I'm a judge. And then I'm going to talk about what those roles mean and how that impacts us. So if we look at, first, when Jesus, his first public message, when he went to Jerusalem, he gave a parable in Matthew 22 and said that the kingdom of heaven was like a wedding. And the ones that rejected him were cast out. Even some that, were, uh, that resisted the wedding um, were judged, and then he set up a kingdom in that wedding. He's saying he's a bridegroom, king, and judge. This is his first public message to the nation of Israel, not in Galilee, but when he came down and we came up to Jerusalem and said, this is who I am. You'd think his first message is the one that is the, the, the essence of his ministry, right? The essence of who he is. I'm just thinking about uh, political candidates. When they start their platform, they have that one message. This is Jesus' message when he started his ministry. I'm a bridegroom, king, and judge. So we've got to get to know that. Now, I know for many of us, that's completely foreign language but it doesn't mean it has to stay that way. And if we say we love the Lord and we, we have his word in our homes, and if, if after looking at how many places this is found, I challenge you, I just pray that your hunger would build. I want to know Jesus this way. I don't know him this way. Maybe I only know him as a king. But what am I missing out on if I could know him as a bridegroom or a judge? What would that, how that would impact my life? Then after his first public message... Uh, Jesus gave a private message to his disciples on the way up to the upper room, right before the, 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 the Last Supper, that week he would give his life. And he told them in Matthew 25, I'm a bridegroom, king, and judge. He gave them a parable of the ten virgins waiting on, on a return of a bridegroom. He uh, gave the, the message of the talents and said, when I return as a king, I'm going to reward you on how you use the talents I give you. I'm a king. And he gave a message of a judge. He said, depending on how the nations treat the nation of Israel, my purposes for them, they will be judged. He gave himself and showed his disciples, I'm a bridegroom, king, and judge. 
Now, going back in the Old Testament, Isaiah, at one of the clearest points in the Old Testament, chapter 61 through 63, this is the clearest places where we see Jesus as Messiah. And we're probably more familiar with 61, which it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news, you know, for uh, comfort those who mourn and give those oil for those that are uh, mourning and um, to uh, give beauty for ashes and to deliver those out of prison, spiritual prison, as well as actual little prison. I'm going to help you get delivered out of that. And um, that's the king passage. But if you look at Isaiah 62, right after that, he says, I'm a bridegroom that delights over my people. In other words, I have a deep affection for my people. That he wants his people to know his affection first and foremost. Then have it in their heart and they live by it. Isaiah 63, he mentions there's a picture of Jesus marching up through the southern land on the way to Israel with blood on his garments. This isn't his blood from the cross. This is the blood from the enemies that are resisting God in the end times. And Jesus, as a man, glorified God, will march across the earth when he returns. He's not just coming in the sky. He's coming in the sky to land on the earth and march across it to deliver the people of Israel after he's already raptured the church and saved the church. He's going to march on the land and there will be people coming against him to attack him. And just like King David slew giants, and King David actually, you know, uh, was a great warrior, Jesus is the greater David. Jesus will, I mean, we got to know this image of Jesus as God, but a fully man returning with blood of his enemies on him. Well, that's intense. All right? I mean, welcome to Sunday morning church. You know, like, what is this guy? What's he talking about? But it's in the Bible, God has put many places like that. Revelation 19, it says his robe is dipped in blood. That's not his own blood. It's the blood of his enemies. If we don't know how to deal with that Jesus, what does that mean of our view of sin, our view of evil, or where our view of what will happen in the earth when he returns? That tells us where our understanding isn't in alignment fully with God's understanding. And that's okay. We're in a process of renewal, but that should invite us to get to know him in his plan. It actually says in Isaiah 63, who is this one coming? That is, these are, these are Christian leaders saying, who is this? They're the watchmen on the city. They can't even tell. They can't even tell because his mission is so foreign and he's coming from far away. I feel like who is this is one of the questions that many people will ask in the days leading up before the Lord's return. But we can ask it now and get to know him now so then we can partner with him and prepare other people. Then, John the Baptist in the New Testament, when he saw Jesus, people were like afraid John the Baptist would lose his ministry, and he said, no, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. I support all these people in Israel to get to know the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. They're going to marry him. In other words, they're going to they're have his love in their hearts. They're going to partner with him. I am just, I'm just the loudspeaker to direct them to Jesus. But he called Jesus a bridegroom. And, I mean, for him to get that, he didn't go to seminary. He didn't go anywhere. He just went to the desert, and the Holy Spirit told him that. And, and he also has passages about mentioning Jesus as a king and judge. So John the Baptist, Isaiah, and Jesus himself mentions it. And then when John the Apostle gets a revelation in the book of Revelation, that was saying revelation as many times as possible in a sentence. When he got that in chapters 19 through 22, you can read those chapters. You will see Jesus as a bridegroom, king, and judge. So it is saturated throughout Scripture. Now, here's the critical thing about being believers. God transforms us 
not by us working harder. We don't become more like God by just working harder. We don't become more like God by doing just church things. That doesn't make us more holy. That doesn't transform us. Work comes out of an, ex- an encounter and, a, and an abiding with God, and that work is far more powerful. So what does it mean to abide? Well, that means really spending time getting to know the Lord. We've got to do that. And as we do that, we will begin to gaze on Jesus. That means studying, meditating, talking about him in, st- in groups with people by ourselves, taking time for him. It's about taking time. I feel like the Lord's even saying to this room right now, you know, take some more time. There's more I want to show you. Take some more time with me. I want to teach you more. You know, there's, you, you know maybe for some of you, you've gone, like, you've, you've learned so much in these last few years in the Lord. Maybe you're new in the faith. You've learned a lot. Now the Lord's saying, and now here's another, here's the next place I want to take you. All right? And maybe for some of us, we've been Christians a long time, and we're actually kind of bored in a sense because we kind of feel like we've learned everything or we have experienced a lot, and we're just kind of just coasting. And the Lord's like, no, take some time. I want to take you deeper, and here's a place where you can do it. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says how we're transformed, and he mentions this. Now, the words are kind of strange because it's spiritual language, okay? So bear with me. It's, it's spiritual language. But he says in verse 18 that we are all with unveiled face. That means when we look at God as we pray and talk to him, with our spirit to his spirit. Because when you get saved, your spirit becomes alive and Jesus lives inside you. And so you're always communing with God. And also your spirit's in heavenly places. It's a mystery. (laughs) You're seated in heavenly places with God, but also the spirit of God lives in you. And so when you gaze at God with unveiled face, that means you're talking to God with your spirit, with your heart. Uh, We're more comfortable with our heart language. Like, I'm talking to God with my heart. My heart's doing well. God's speaking to my heart. But that can also mean your spirit. Paul says then that the glory of the Lord, um, so we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. So to be transformed, you've got to gaze, and what changes you? It's the glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord is what changes you into his image. So how do I see the glory of the Lord? (laughs) That is such an uh, ethereal, abstract word. What does that mean? Can you break that down? I really believe that is what it means when we come to the Lord and we spend time in the Bible study, we spend time journaling, we spend time praying, we spend time singing his word, we spend time thinking about it, we spend time being quiet and, and, and unplugging the phone and, and, uh, and going on a walk and just talking to him about something we've read and asking him questions. And what we feel like gets, comes into our heart, we write it down and we share it. And we start growing. That's gazing. That's communing with the Holy Spirit living inside you with his word. Over time, you will be transformed. Because what you'll see about God and his value system may be different than your experience. And then you have the choice to agree with that. And when you agree with that, that's called faith. And when you grow in faith in agreement with God, your life becomes into alignment with God. And then the things start happening in your life where before you've been frustrated, you're stuck, you don't know why, how to change things. God's telling you to stop trying to change things yourself and get into the ministry of gazing. Get into the ministry of beholding and agreeing with him. And as you draw near to him, he will shift the things in your life. He will shift it. It's a different paradigm. One is where the world's value system comes into church, and the other is when the church value system teaches the world what it means to be a son and daughter of God. 
So bridegroom, king, and judge. Let's just look at these descriptions here. So I'm just going to touch on them for five minutes each. Now, I realize, you know, we, we could break down Jesus as a bridegroom for, you know, eight sessions. So I'm just, you know, sprinkling it out here today with a passage or two. Tonight we will talk more about Jesus as a bridegroom and what that means about you, how you relate to God. And, um, and then, you know, we also could t- teach many sessions on Jesus as a king and a judge. But I'm just throwing it out today for you. And uh, if others are interested, I can give uh, Pastor Jeff, some other friends of mine have taught uh, in-depth sessions on each of these that really was meaningful to me. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and I had just come through some uh, pretty big breakthrough in my life, um, things that my family had struggled with for years, different like things as far as um, uh, kind of dissociating from pain by working so hard, um, you know, different types of sadness and depression. I was dealing with when I was pastoring, and the Lord brought a homeless man into my house, very long story, and he ended up, we ended up, I had to repent to him for my attitudes about him. And then when we were meeting in our home, he was living in my home for three months, the Lord would visit us and start basically delivering me from different things that had been plaguing my family, plaguing me. Spiritual issues, uh, generational issues, and I got a bunch of freedom. And it was just remarkable. And then as I, after that was happening, I started getting in touch with some more teachings from the House of Prayer, particularly about the end times and the revelation of Jesus, his beauty. And when I started coming across of what Jesus was going to do and who he is, it totally changed me because I feel like m- much of the church is oriented to the past. We look at Jesus as a baby. <laughs> we look at Jesus as a dying man on the cross. Now, those truths are forever uh, valuable, and they can teach us about the heart of Jesus, right? His humility, his servant quality to come and give of his life and to be beaten as a criminal for us. His humility to be so gentle as he was. But when the Father gave a revelation to John, he didn't show Jesus as either one of those. When Jesus had gone to heaven already and he was giving the last book of the Bible, it says in Revelation 1.1, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ that the Father gave to John. The Father gave more insight and understanding about Jesus that adds and builds upon what he already gave in the Gospels. Many of us are comfortable with the Gospels. We haven't spent the Jesus time knowing the Jesus that is coming, the Jesus in glory. That's the Jesus we need to be aware of because as we gaze at him, we will then be prepared for his coming. So let's look at Jesus as a bridegroom. He is coming as a bridegroom, king, and judge. Now, a bridegroom. I'm at the, well, let's do king first. Bottom of page two. He has unlimited resources and power. Now, right now, the throne of God is in heaven. Now, is this throne on earth? It's not on earth yet. Do you see a king ruling that's God on earth? But that will happen. Can you just, we're in a transition here, folks. It's not going to be like this forever. Jesus will have two thrones and then merge them to one. He has a throne in heaven. When he, when he was resurrected, he sat at the right hand of the Father on a throne right next to the Father. But he has, it says in Revelation 5, 12, all power, riches, wisdom, strength, spiritual blessing, and glory. He gets all of those because of his faithful service to the Father and doing all the Father's will. The Father will give that to Jesus when he returns to establish a physical kingdom on the earth. 
He will rule out of Jerusalem, and he will teach the nations righteousness, and the nations will transform into uh, to righteous injustice on the earth. Now, that's huge. Now, that'll happen incrementally. He's not just going to wave his hand. He's going to do that over a period of time. That is our God. When you pray to, you're praying to the future king of the earth. Now, he's king in heaven. Now, the, re- the way his kingdom gets released now is through who? It's through us. So Jesus said the kingdom is within you. So we're kind of in this transitional period. The kingdom's inside us, but it's going to come in its fullness when the king returns. And he's going to actually, I want you to think about this. He's going to appoint, you know, just like right now Trump's going to appoint 4,000 cabinet positions or government. Jesus is going to appoint governmental positions on the earth. Where do you think eternal rewards are? He's going to, he's, we're getting rewarded by how we know the Lord, but we're also going to get rewarded by our place and how we serve the Lord, how close we get to be to him in his kingdom. Did you know every time you say no to temptation and yes because you love the Lord, you are building a history with the Lord of trust and faith. He can trust you with more when he returns. Give you an actual position in something. Did you know that the job you're in, the family he's giving you, is actually training ground to reign with him? It's actually, you're in an internship right now. This is not all there is. You're in a 70-year internship. That changes everything. If your marriage is driving you nuts, Maybe God's trying to teach us mercy, right? If we feel overwhelmed, maybe he's trying to teach us how to pray and get security in him. Because if you overcome something in this life, then you can rule and reign out of it now, but then even in the future when you return, you get to offer that to the Lord, but then he's going to reward you for that, and he's going to give you a different thing to do. And it's going to be something you really like. Because you know what, right now, sometimes we get to do things we don't like because we have to learn stuff, and we have to lean on God. But where we're going, he's going to give us stuff that we really, really like. Things that he made us for. We just get to scratch it now. He is a king coming. And it matters now, too, because when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he did it as a king. In Matthew, he said, you're going to disciple, teach, and baptize people. That is how we build the kingdom of God now with the church, right? But we got to do the other piece. Did you ever notice that Mark's Great Commission and Matthew's are so different? Matthew said, yeah, okay, Mark, or go, yeah, Matthew, that's great, teach, baptize, but I want to see signs and wonders. I want to see people learn to pray in the prayer language. I want to see demons cast out. I want to see people healed and signs and wonders to accompany the preaching of the kingdom. So we got to have both. Matthew and Mark, they're both what Jesus said as king. When you do this, this is what's going to happen as my, as, as operating from the kingdom within you and you do that. And so we got to know Jesus is king. And when we do that, that will empower us to release his kingdom now. I, I can't imagine why your church is positioned in the middle of the city here. It's to release the kingdom of God all throughout Mason City. You're in a downtown area that God gave you, different people groups that are coming here. Because, you know, the city center is really where you get everybody mixing together. And so God wants us to be a very diverse church and a very open church. And I feel that way. And, but he also, he wants you to learn how to release the kingdom um, and, and it's spread it out through this area. And by knowing Jesus is king, that will empower your church to walk in the power of God as you release the kingdom. Jesus as a righteous judge. <clears throat> this is a part that can be a little uh, offensive or on. Uh, it's a little scary, especially when like, I mentioned that passage in Isaiah 63 with blood on his garments. 
Um, there are other places, too, where we see Jesus coming as judge. But here is what helps. And I, after I even share this five minutes, I think that you'll be like, oh, yeah, I want Jesus to come as judge. We need Jesus as judge. We need it so desperately right now. Jesus, uh, the Bible's very clear, places in Isaiah and other passages that the that many people in church have an end times narrative that everything's going to get better before the Lord's return. And it's not true. It's both. <laughs> Church grows in glory, but the earth, it says in Matthew, or Isaiah 24, it will totter like a drunk man under the weight of sin. It will reel back and forth and fall. Now what, that's, it is sobering, isn't it? We could be alive then or it could be our children or children's children. And um, it says that they have changed the laws. Well, they, have, they have transgressed the laws. That means broken it. They have changed uh, and then they have changed the ordinance. That means they're actually changing the laws of human beings against the laws of God. That's all in the end. These are all end time passages. Now we can just start seeing glimmers of this right now, what's happened in America the last few years. And, um, and it's very clear about, and then, you know, creation groaning, and the groaning of creation will increase. We need a judge that can come and remove evil on the earth. And only Jesus can do it. He's the only one that took the punishment. He's the only one wise enough to know how to separate wickedness and righteousness. He's the only one able to do that. He's the only one that can do that with a heart of love because he really loves people. Because when he comes and removes evil and wickedness, that allows for righteousness to flourish. That allows for his kingdom to grow in its fullness. Does that make sense? You try to plant a garden with a bunch of weeds, what happens? It can't grow. There's a time period after all this mercy God's given the earth, he's going to release a very clear testimony on the earth. The church will be moving in power, a great revival. The whole earth will see the glory of God. They'll have a chance to return to the Lord. But for those that harden their heart and resist God actively, it says they'll be even worshiping demons, that they won't give up murder, they won't give up sorcery in Revelation. It'll be, I mean, it's more intense than we know right now. Um, but they will actually know they're resisting God intentionally. Their hearts will become so hard and God calls them reprobate. The Lord will remove them from the earth just like you pull out weeds. That's intense. But he will then set his kingdom there so righteousness can flourish. So God is very merciful in his testimony of his love and his heart. And even when he does that, people, it's still merciful because every moment longer he lets them live on earth, the more that they have to give an account for when they meet him at the great white throne of judgment. In other words, even in God's judgment, he's merciful. Now, think about uh, Christians that are being persecuted around the earth right now. If there's no Jesus as judge, what do you say to them when you lose a family member that's crucified or that gets their house stolen? You're going to say, well, I'm sorry there's no Jesus as judge. You're in justice. God's not going to do anything about it. What do you say to someone that was uh, hurt as a child, maybe by some kind of injustice or evil, without Jesus as a judge? If we know Jesus as a judge, that frees us to let him be the judge. That allows us to have a heart of mercy for our enemies. We have to have Jesus as a judge. If he doesn't do that, then I have to do it. I have to get my own cause. I have to do my own. I have to pay people back. Jesus as a judge removes the, our right to be bitter. Because he's far better judge. He knows everything. He understands everything. And he's the only one righteous to do it. That lets me to get out of the driver's seat of judgment and in the place of mercy and loving and blessing people, even whether they harm me 
or they're doing, they have a different vision about for America, or they have a different vision for even what the church should be like, or a different, I can bless them, different vision for my home group. <laughs> I can bless them. I can love them. I can find the best way to uh, work together with them because Jesus is the judge. We need to know this message of him as a judge because if we do, it will help us prepare our city, help us prepare our families, and tell, look, the Lord's returning, and he's going to have us give an account of everything we've done, everything we've thought, and what we've done with our time and our money. Revelation 19.2 says, True and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot. That's the world system that we'll be building that's corrupt, that's corrupted the earth with her fornication. That means forsaking God and turning really to, to worship the enemy, to worship Satan, but it's just worshiping our own, our own sinful ways. And he, Jesus, has avenged the blood of his servants shed by her. So he is true and righteous. That's actually, you know who says that? You do. This is the song what you're going to say. All of heaven tells Jesus you're true and righteous as a judge. This is what your words, if you're a believer, this is what you're going to say to Jesus after he does this. <laughs> you may not be ready yet, but we can be, as we meditate and get to know him, we can be ready. That's what the Lord's inviting us. If I'm already going to say that, why don't I learn how to say it now? <laughs> why don't I get to know him now that way? Jesus has a bridegroom. This is what we'll talk more about tonight. And this can be a little invasive, especially for a guy. You're like, what? I'm a bride? <laughs> In this analogy, it's not about gender. It's not about gender. Women are sons of God. That means you inherit the kingdom. Men are sons of God. Guys, we're, we get to be the bride of Christ. Women are bride of Christ. What that means is we get the special place in all creation to be with Jesus forever. Just like God gave Eve to Adam to be and co-rule in the garden, God is giving us to Jesus as a perfect partner to co-rule all creation in his new creation. And right now, you are being prepared as a partner. And he's preparing you, not just in your works or how ex life experiences. He's preparing you as a lover. He's preparing you to teach you how to love him the way he likes to be loved. And that means how to listen, how to respond, how to give him of your time and resource. You are learning to love the Lord. But we don't do that out of duty only. We do it primarily because it's fun, it's delightful, and it gives us life. That's why we love him. We love him because it says his name is like perfume poured out. It says that his love is more intoxicating than the wine of the world. In other words, the pleasures of the world, if we really took them on a scale and put the pleasures of God, and we could see which one really made us drunk in love, which really made us intoxicated, really got the part of our heart motivated and jazzed and excited, it would be the pleasures of God. The problem is, is that we... We haven't been able to preach and teach on it. We haven't been able to live lifestyles that allow us to receive and understand it. And so we're kind of stuck in the middle, and we're still wondering if the pleasures of the world are better. But when we really give God time to prove himself, he will show us that his pleasures are better than the wine of this world. And I'm preaching to myself. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> we, the Bible gives many pictures. Tonight we're going to look at it of Jesus as a bridegroom coming. And it's in glory and beauty. He, he calls himself beautiful. That means his character is so amazing, like his humility, his love, his gentleness, his strength, that it's actually visible on him. What? Yes, his character is visible. 
in, in light, in color, in shining. It's visible. When John saw it, he fell down and he was dead. It was so overwhelming to him. When Daniel had a vision, when he had, when Daniel had a visitation from an angel that came from the throne room of beauty, he fell down. It wasn't even Jesus. Just somebody carrying the presence of Jesus. He fell down. Beloved, you're going to get a resurrected body that will have the capacity to stand before God in person. And not through prayer only, but with your naked eye, you will stand before him and see him in this beauty. Have you thought of that? Have you thought that your prayer life is to build you up for that day so you have something to talk about? <laughs> You're used to talking to him? Have you thought about that? It's not just like, give me, give me help today. I mean, that, trust me, I, many of my prayers are like, ah, help. Uh, help, God, help. But it's also God wants to change our prayer life to look at the beautiful parts of Jesus in the Scripture and say, Jesus, this is really beautiful about you. This is awesome. You're actually talking to him like a friend versus an ATM machine. He wants to change our prayer life as a friend and a gazer of who he is versus what he can do for us. Now, that kind of prayer is valid. It does say, give us today our daily bread, but he also wants to go, it's, a, it's not the best kind of prayer. It's not because it's not best because it's not fulfilling. He wants to fulfill us through his love and, a, and a, to be intoxicated with him. He wants to teach us to begin in our language, the language of beauty and love in our prayer life. And we can only do that by reading those passages on him as a bridegroom and start putting it in our mouth when we talk to him. It seems so weird, but that's how he does it. And as you talk to him with the passages in the word and inviting the Holy Spirit, you actually start thinking that way and it touches your heart. The Holy Spirit will breathe on it. That's Jesus as a bridegroom. He wants to be near you. He has confidence for you. You know, when we sin, we know if we have an understanding of him as a bridegroom when we feel like we need to punish ourselves. <laughs> Like, oh, I'm so bad, you know, like we're shocked by our sin in our heart. He could never love me again. I'm going to put myself in time out for two months. And then finally, maybe I'll get the nerve up to like come to church again and say, here I am, are you going to beat me up or do you hate me? And, and you know what? When you know him as a bridegroom, we know that he sees our sincere heart. He sees that we really want to love him, but we're just weak. We're broken. And he says, you know what? Even in your weak love, you are beautiful to me. Even in your weak love, but it's sincere, that means it's honest, it's true, and it's freely given to me, it says in Song of Solomon, it overcomes him. He has to look away. The God of the universe is overcome by your weak love. That's the bridegroom message. Now, when you get a hold of that, and I'm asking for more myself. When you fail, when you feel tired with certain things, you tap into that love. It is so strengthening. You can overcome anything, any adversity at work, family, over sin, anything, because you see his love at your little yes, your little yes, even in its weakness, even with failures along the way, but to know that he sees the end in line. He sees a million years from now, when you have a resurrected body, you're in complete, uh, not just uh, righteousness from Christ in your spirit, man, but even your brain can think that way all the time. You're always treating people that way. You're always feeling his love. He knows where you're going. He sees the end from the beginning. And when he sees how you move him now. So wrapping up here, these three messages, we feel like they may conflict. I don't have time, but they work together. 
The bridegroom, the judge, the king message do not conflict. Jesus is in complete unity with himself. He is like a beautiful diamond with different sides, and they all fit together. And we could unpack that more, but we're kind of short on time. I want to go to letter F here. And I put some questions. You know, if you want to talk about this over your lunch meal or your small group this week, just talk about these aspects of Jesus and what you're comfortable with, what you're not, why. And maybe what's a couple things that struck your heart this morning. And just put those words in your mouth and share them with people. And, and, you know, maybe even respond in prayer. Lord, I, I want to get to know you this way. I want to be prepared for you. I, I want to grow with you in a new level. But I want to look at letter F, because I feel like this is even for your church here. Um, John the Baptist knew Jesus as a bridegroom, king, and judge. And it says in Isaiah 40 that he was the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And, and he, his message was, Jesus, the one that's coming, I'm going to baptize him soon, but I'm not, I'm not worthy to. He's a bridegroom, king, and judge. And it says in Isaiah 40, John would prepare the way. That means make an opening in people's hearts for God's glory to come. And it says all flesh will see the glory of God. Beloved, if you learn and, and grow in the Lord as described in this way so that you could even give that message yourself and the truths, not just the words, but the truths of Jesus you're living from and then touching other people's lives, you will release the glory of God in your community, in your city. You will prepare the way of the Lord for Mason City. All flesh in Mason City will see the Lord. The glory of the Lord will be revealed over Mason City. Take Isaiah 40 and the bridegroom, king, and judge, and just run with it and and prepare the way for Jesus in this city. Prepare the way for Jesus in the city. Does anybody want to do that? Does anybody want to prepare the way? And, And what does it take? What will you let go of so that you can have more space for him to prepare the way in you so you can prepare the way out there. What do you need to let go? What do you need to say, you know what, this isn't even bad things in my life, but you know what, I don't have any more room. It's like, you know, we, we have a smaller home, and I, we already have two kids, and I'm like, we can't store any more kids' clothes. Like, it's over, you know. <laughs> it's coming out of the closet. Ah, you know, we've got to get rid of some of it. Those aren't bad. Kids' clothes aren't bad. I'm going to have to get rid of that to make room if we want another kid, or to make room for clothes that fit them. It's the same thing. God may be saying to you, hey, you gotta get, let, you got to let go of stuff in your life, but you do it for love. Don't do it out, I mean, you can do it out of fear. If I don't do this, uh, but it's not going to produce good fruit. Do it for love. And it's better than doing it out of duty. Oh, this preacher guy came in town, and I guess this is what I should do. You know, don't do it for that reason. Just say, God, you told me to do this. I don't really feel like it. But your word says it, and I think I've got to, I want to grow, so would you help me? <laughs> would you help me want to? <laughs> and, uh, but let the Lord clear things out for you. So let's have the worship team come forward, and I want to pray for us. I may have gone a little later, so all right, praise the Lord. And I want to have a time of ministry. And again, if there's something said today you don't understand, my goal was to make it like kind of sprinkle things and... Um, make a bigger boundary for you to explore later. So this was not really a teaching as much as just a preach, preaching or like kind of an expansive thing. So if you have more questions, actually that was my heart. I want you to start learning some of these things. Tonight we will unpack more about Jesus as bridegroom. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.